listening to The RC, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking, and cutting-edge imaging. Sponsored by Storm, the digital cinema production hub from The Foundry. Go to thefoundry.co.uk slash storm for details. And by the Australian Cinematographers Society. Visit cinematographer.org.au. Hi, and welcome to the RC. Um, this is a special RC, actually. This is an on-location RC. I'm joined, of course, by the man himself, Mr Jason Wingrove. Oh, yeah, and in the car park uh, RC. How are we? Yes, so we're actually in the car park right now. Uh, do you explain what we're doing today, Jase? OK, well, we, uh, as we may have hinted at the tail end of last show, uh, this is going to be a bit of a special episode. We have, uh, in country, uh, in our hands, we have... Uh, Epic serial number one, two, three, I think. Right. Epic M. We do, actually. Obviously, also with us, we have, uh, I guess he'll be, we'll get guest him on the show, Would be is actually uh, Ted from Red. He's travelled uh, down here to Australia to work in the room and has brought uh, his uh, Epic with him and also a Scarlet. Yeah, so basically today we're going to be shooting with the Scarlet and two Epics in Sydney. Um, this is a pre-shoot, if you like, to a major shoot we're doing next week in New Zealand which is going to be wall-to-wall uh, epic. But yeah. today, uh, we thought we'd shoot um, talent, or rather, an actress. That's right. This is so, the first time we're going to have a chance to have you know, two epics really in the room together, so we're going to put them in the stereo rig, shoot her, and also... And two stereo rigs, actually. We're going to do side-by-side side and uh, mirror rig. Right, excellent. And also, then, we'll obviously do 2D stuff with Steadicam on a gyro rig. Basically, it's a big sort of, I guess, a bit of a shakedown day for all the gear you guys are going to take to New Zealand. Yeah, and hopefully a chance for you to uh, create a Absolutely. Of the camera. Absolutely. I'm very, very keen to see so what you're going to play with. let's discuss the first setup uh, just and what we hope to achieve. By now, we should point out, Sal, that we're very big, obviously you've heard this in the past, on a narrative flow. But there are times where you just need to test cameras, and the best way to test cameras is on a variety of shots. So we are definitely leaning to a variety of shots rather than a short film, which obviously will come down the down the road. That's right. So you will not. Uh, so there won't be any unboxing vids. We're basically going to be, um, well, I guess, sort of putting it through its paces and all the stuff we know it's going to be good at. Short, con- uh, small, confined spaces. Testing out the HDR modes with uh, changes in exposure as we go. You know, in the, take a bonnet, bolt it onto a car bonnet, take it in and out of tunnels. Um, cars driving into car parks coming from hot outside to moody fluoro lit inside uh, chucking it on steady cams, uh, low mode chucking it on, on, the, you know, on trolleys in the hand we have a uh, kind of a very simple minimal gyro rig as well so which really a much bigger camera is not really going to su- be you know, very well suited to this is going to be perfect on the, uh, the epic on this so look I think it's really just uh, a getting to know you kind of a day and uh, just sort of debugging and uh, debugging so all our extremes. We also have the 12mm uh, Master Prime, which is a 1.3. Yeah, 12mm. We have the, the ADAR, ADAR Master, um, uh, Zeiss Ari ADAR. We have a um, 11. Uh, 11, the Duke Loss 11 to 16, uh, full set of super speeds. 
we also have, uh, went to pick up later in the pinball uh, machine, uh, we have a snorkel lens. So we're going to essentially take the glass off the pinball machine and get the lens right in there or, or in amongst the uh, workings of the machine. And that will also let us uh, play around with uh, um, like really, really close focus in there and just, you know, ex explore what we can do uh, with a really light, small camera package. And I think what it's, what it's going to let us do is do it quite quickly, quite, 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 uh, with a quite minimal crew. You know, I mean, essentially, even the bonnet rig we're using here is something that's really more suited to DSLRs. The first shot we're going to set up now is just put a uh, bonnet rig on uh, a small convertible and drive it through the tunnel. Theoretically, if this was be it, be it you know a larger red one or you know four three five or something, we'd have to have a much bigger rig than than this. We'll uh, put some a photo of this rig in, obviously in the rig in, in show notes. Uh, but this really is something that you've used, Mike, in, in the past for DSLR, and I think we've, we've, we've put the F3 on this. Um, but, yeah, today we'll use it on, on the Epic and see what we can get away with. So I guess my question would be, what's your first impression? Because you actually, you know, obviously got to... Well, actually, ironically, you met me inside <laughs> Duty Free, which was pretty funny. Yes, met you sort of buying... Uh, both buying bottles of gin uh, at the... Uh, sorry, at, I, was, I was going for Bacardi. I'm sorry, you were going for Bacardi. Uh, at, uh, yeah, at Customs at Sydney Airport. And uh, well, the, my first impression was what I didn't see the camera, but I saw what you were carrying it in, which is a really small, compact uh, Pelican case, which is designed to be, you know, a carry-on. Yeah. It's really small. It's even smaller than what you would be allowed for for a carry-on. You can have a much bigger case for that carry-on. But in that really small uh, Pelican was, you know, the uh, you've got the side handle. You can fit in there the bomb AVF, the, uh, all the batteries and everything really to get going at the other end without, uh, uh, you know, without having to put it in the hold, into hold luggage. Okay, well, that was. Uh, let's just jump forward in time. So we've now finished the shoot with Jason, and I've actually left the country. Um, and Jason, you're actually uh, still in Sydney. Um, I am. So we we had uh, intended to record the rest of Red Centre while we were shooting, but actually, I think we shot till eleven o'clock that night. So <laughs> we did. We'd pick it up um, after I left the country the next day. But we were having a complete ball. I actually had a complete ball that night. It was great fun. So let's discuss that. So we we shoot when we spoke. Uh, you know, we were obviously looking to test the camera out. Um, let's run through some of the tests we did that day. Uh, so we were doing, I believe, at the start, the car mount stuff. We were doing car to car, um, car mounts and stuff. And then yep. we uh, hit the car park where you started doing the uh, high dynamic range stuff. Yeah. Well, obviously, we uh, on the car shoot stuff, we uh, the car rig, we were obviously testing out HDRX there, going in and out of tunnels. And uh, that was literally the first stuff we'd rolled on to literally just... Um, make sure everything was uh, up and running and a real good shakedown test for, for your stuff uh, later on in the week. But, um, yeah, then we took it uh, into the car park, and that was uh, quite insane, showing... Uh, I guess what we were doing was having a car coming into a car park, which is quite dimly lit, lit with fluoros, a really interesting test, and coming out of complete full-sun uh, concrete driveway, um, top-lit by sun... Um, and, come, and then without changing exposure, obviously bringing the car through the car park um, with um, headlights boring down the lens. And it was quite outstanding to then later on grab the, uh, grab the footage and just with one little tweak of the slider on uh, HDRX to be able to take 
fully nuclear winter blown out exteriors and just say, okay, where do you want it? Shall we, do we want it underexposed? Do we want it perfectly exposed? And what was really interesting with it is that it never once, to me, looked like you know, a tone-mapped thing or an overly done HDR. I've not seen anything or any footage from anybody so far that looks in any way strange or odd to the eye, which is quite wild because you are completely playing with, with psychologically what we're used to seeing is completely different. I think this is, you know, um, really, really playing with reality and what we're used to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we uh, been shooting a lot of HDRX because uh, I've left the country and uh, come to New Zealand. We'll discuss more about the New Zealand shoot next time on um, mm. Red Center. But look, it's great, and it's kind of interesting when you should use HDRX and when you shouldn't, and how hard it is to not use it on every shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because obviously, I mean, because that is one big question. People say, why don't you just use it all the time? And I mean, the the first main big one is that you are pretty much doubling your data usage and you're ripping through your data twice as fast, right? Yeah. And obviously, you know, it's, yet, um, it's a, a more complicated file. Or in a unique situation, it's really hard to not press the button to protect your uh, highlights. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's, it is going to be hard to uh, not, not reach for it. But, I mean, you know, if, you're, uh, if you've got plenty of um, the ability to handle the data and plenty of the ability to download it at the end of the day and manage it and, and store it, then fair enough. It's good on some shoots to protect yourself. But um, if it's predictable and you know you're not necessarily going to use it, then it's nice to have it in the back pocket, but don't roll it on all the time. It's, uh, I guess it is pretty much completely double the data rate, right? Yeah. Yeah. And after the car shoot, we went and did uh, stereo. So we were shooting with the stereo rig that was the uh, ET rig. Now, I was at, over at ET in uh, Los Angeles, and I put in the show notes some photos of the various different rigs that ET made. We were not using the smallest rig that we could use for the uh, Epic. We were actually using one considerably larger. The yeah. reason for that simply is that that was the rig that we had at hand, and is being studio work as it was, it wasn't really a problem for us to, um, to use a slightly bigger rig. And we've, of course, sank up both uh, Epics using the... Uh, different uh, sync that you use, like tri-level sync and uh, time code and uh, genlock, and yep. locked those two up pretty well. And, then, and you uh, did uh, converging and um, a parallel, I guess. Well, actually, interestingly, not only did we do that, but we actually then went off the ET rig and put Epic side by side and did Epic parallel, as in next to each other parallel um, rigs. And that was kind of fun because we're now on a effect. Well, think of it. It wasn't this, but obviously, think of it as a plank of wood that has two epics nailed to it. Um, I think I did a shot of it. I'll put it in the show notes, actually, where they're actually hand-holding it. Yeah, and hand-holding it. And so we could do all these hand-hold shots of the point of view of our actress, uh, which was pretty hysterical. And then um, after we'd done a bunch of stereo stuff, and a lot of that was on turntables and various other uh, tricks and stuff that we did, we did some... um, what you'd call just beauty shots. And we here we're shooting at 96 frames a second. And I guess my point to ask you, Jace, is in your opinion, just generally speaking, you know, what's the kind of range of off speeds that you would like to use? And is 100 enough? Do you, do you want to go higher than that? Uh, obviously, it all depends on what you're shooting, really. But, I mean, we've talked about this before, that, uh, you know, the high-speed stuff, you don't have to go too high-speed to get the real perception of, of slow-mo. And often I've shot stuff at 50 and wish I'd actually shot it a little bit quicker and had not gone quite so overcranked. Um, yeah, I guess it depends on, on what you're shooting. But people are starting, as as footage is getting 
you know, we're seeing more and more slow-mo in, in, in spots, in commercials, in, in features, you know, as it gets easier and easier to do with, with vice cams and um, phantoms. We're kind of getting used to seeing it a bit more, and it's almost becoming, uh, you know, the idea. So um, I guess you can you can never really have enough of anything, can you? You can never have enough frame per second, ISO, etc. Uh, <laughs> you know, never enough wide enough lens, high enough ISO, um, l- fast enough frame rates. Oh, but uh, look, most of the time, most time I'd be doing fifty or sixty frames a second. I guess if I was going to just do a simple, you know, just pop into an edit somewhere, a little slow mo shot, just to sort of a nice little tweak on something, I'd say, yeah, sixty, whatever, sixty, fifty frames a second. We were shooting nearly a hundred on this girl putting a jacket on, and I was just sort of reminded of that thing that everything looks good in slow mo. Um, yeah. The problem is, I don't think that it's a problem of whether it looks good or not. The problem is how long you have to play for it in the edit. Because exactly I why I'd probably slot. yeah go with 50 or 60 because I'm usually would be trying to slot it into like a 30 or a 45 second edit so yeah I don't normally go if it's the idea and that's your that's your plan and that's the look for that particular spot or scene then you would have less shots in that sequence and then you would probably go you would um, overcrank uh, much higher but yeah for the average shot inserted into a normal speed sequence yeah you don't want to go too far the uh yeah that jacket taking off 90 it's as you say it just makes everything look interesting obviously what you know as these cameras start to get slower and we don't have to um bump to 2k 3k to to do it i'm hoping that we're not going to just have a plethora of slow-mo stuff for no particular reason oh we will but it's nice <laughs> but it's nice to have it there it does it did look gorgeous and you know it can really add emotion um to the simplest thing yeah and then we uh went really funky with the epic and we decided to put a snorkel on it and um i, I posted a photo of this on red user so some of you may have seen it uh, of actually ted holding the snorkel which was kind of interesting i think from a mounting point of view because we've talked about this idea of the epic being really interesting because the physical size of it has come down so much but in this yeah. particular case, we were basically ignoring the epic and just worrying about the lens. We were holding the lens. We were dealing with the lens. And, oh, by the way, at the end of it, there was this tiny little box which seemed to be the epic. Yeah, well, that's right. It's like, a, it's like putting a, a long telephoto lens on your stills camera. The, the camera mounts to the lens vi- rather than vice versa. When we first knew that we were going to get the snorkel and start putting it into your pinball machine, I thought, okay, we're going to need a crane. We're going to need some sort of zero-G head, maybe a remote head. We're going to need all this gear. And although that sort of was up the end of the studio, as soon as I put the camera on the snorkel, I thought, hang on, <laughs> just pick it up. And it was just like literally uh, the ability to um, quickly move that around. It would have been just we would have finished at two in the morning instead of or four in the morning instead of 11. And the only reason we went to 11 because we were just having so much damn fun or you guys were having so much damn fun. And I was watching. Um, it was really, really <laughs> enjoyable to see. It was really a real joy to see um, Ted grabbing the lens and having a play and, and getting stuck in, getting his hands dirty. I think he had a I actually think he, if you look at the pics, he looks like he's really having a ball. And I was just so it was a joy to watch. Um, but and also we wanted to do like overhead shots looking down. Um, uh, following, I guess, following this ball, big, you know, pinball ball as it raced around the uh, the, the deck of the, the pinball machine. And obviously it's changing direction. It's fast, it's random, it's quick. And the ability to just hold it and hang it, like, you know, almost like, hang, like holding barbells, and to 
quickly whip that thing around the table, chasing that ball. No way on earth could you do that with any other rig than what we did it, I think. What would have been nice is maybe just a little bit of bungee cord going off to the grid or off to another crane just to take the weight. But uh, that was definitely the way to do it. And we actually, I think we just put a little soft cloth on the bottom of the lens. And so literally you could do these little dollies around on the floor. And I just think that was just sensational. And then, you know, if you want to take the edge off it, we could Dutch tilt. We could do all the stuff that you could not do without a world of hurt in the gripping department. Um, it was uh, really intriguing to, you know, and it's just the start, you know. And that's a really, that's a really um, quite a heavy lens the snorkel lens itself weighs you know probably twice as much as the epic you know itself but it was you weren't even really conscious of the camera at the end really were you that was just a box to mount the monitor on yeah it really was it was like i mean it it psychologically disappeared yeah it it did that's right it became yes exactly it became all about the shot and about you know being about options and being able to um do what ifs really quickly without having to uh, no offense to you know the gripping department but without having to have them rethink about it remount uh, de-rig de-weight the whole crane and then reposition it in a different way we could literally just okay want to do a different shot okay i'll just pick it up so it was um i know it seems i'm going on about it a bit but this is such you couldn't you could no way you couldn't do this with a red one i mean the only way you could do it really is if you had like a a, a Canon 5D, but obviously this is this is not this is not the the, the, the um, arena we're talking about. Obviously, it's, this is um, and that we could literally could then do 96 frames a second inside a pinball machine, four, four mil off the deck, uh, tracking with the ball uh, as as fast as the ball moved. I defy you to uh, apart from a GoPro, I prefer, defy you to find a uh, another way of doing that. Well, also at 5K, at 96 at 5K. frames a second. Exactly. Um, with, with 19 stops of dynamic range, if you wanted it. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. But, you know, that was the tool getting out of the way of creativity, wasn't it? That was, let, we've got an idea, wouldn't it be cool if we could do this? And that was the gear completely becoming invisible and letting you create some fun stuff. And it wasn't about, oh, we've got this gear, what can we do? It was let, literally letting us create something um, interesting and, and the gear not getting in the way. I mean, this is the thing. Like, there's, um, there's two aspects, I guess, to the sort of notional benefit of an Epic, um, apart from sort of tech specs. And you could argue that for some various reasons there are technical improvements between the same chip in a Red One and, a, and an Epic. But it's, mm. it's the package being small and light and robust and professional and stuff and then there's the dynamic range i mean those are like the two big ones for me yeah i I love being able to go high speed without having to crop into the sensor i mean i love a whole lot of other little things but those are the two huge you know and the first one the the idea that you can i forgot which order i said them in (laughs) the first one which is the small package has has implications that you don't get until you pick it up yeah and then i mean pick it up in anger like not just pick it up at a trade show and it, it just it's a it's a really big difference yeah this is i mean as i said we've been talking about this thing on a podcast for like three years okay and i went into it like you with these presumptions of what i thought would be interesting about the camera and what i thought would work for me the um first of all the, you know i shoot a lot of handheld so i thought form factor would be 
the most amazing thing. That's terrific. Yeah, the ability to not have to crop in if you overcrank, terrific. But I think what I think is the game changer about this, which is like essentially been the bonus feature added at the last minute, is HDR. From a production point of view, the ability to not have to gel windows or protect highlights or just go with what if and and, and not have to stop and start or, or, or grab the iris and is going to be huge and there is going to be people who are choosing the camera from a production point of view okay we can either spend five grand uh doing four scissor lifts out this window and putting three uh three 12 k's out this window to counteract to balance to balance the hot windows or we can uh, get an epic and use x-track so i think rightly or wrongly there's going to be a lot of production issues which are now going to become grading issues so uh i think Although I didn't expect it to be the big thing, the HDR, just having seen, as you say, you've got to play with this thing and got to see it played back and look at it on Red Cine X and just grab that slider and see, going X-Track to A-Track and see the difference and, and, and see that it does not make it look like a bad real estate photo, um, that uh, the HDR is going to be a complete... Uh, you know what I mean? One of those changing things about a game, that word. Um, uh, huge, I think. So I'm just seriously considering and trying to work out how the hell I can get my hands on one, uh, my own personal one to have and to hold and keep under my pillow at night. Um, uh, I, th- I was having a chat with someone about it yesterday, and uh, the the I think because the HDRX is going to be one of the big things and why people are going to choose this camera uh, is how soon are we going to be able to see in grading panels in in telecine decks the ability to get into this data have you any idea re um uh, sdks how soon we might literally be able to have access to uh the information that's there discuss this point okay it will be a lot sooner than on red one Yes. Well, obviously, I would imagine that, you know, we've um, and, and I do know been through this stuff. before. I'm not just, yeah, of course. And it's, uh, yeah. Because sooner rather than later, we're going to start to see, you know, people are going to start to want to uh, move beyond uh, test footage and we're going to start well, to one want thing to you want to do. This. There's just one simple thing that you want to do right out of the gate that you can't do at the moment that is crying out for it is you can't animate the HDRX during the shot in Red Cine X. Yeah, so that because right. Red Cine X is out, it's not like I'm talking about proprietary stuff. Yeah, that's right. You want to be able to do dynamic. dynamic you want to changes. do a dynamic because uh, there's a shot that we did of yours where a car was coming out, car mount of a tunnel. Mm. It's dark in the tunnel. We're holding the blacks. They look nice. It's not noisy. Car goes out into Australian sun at, I think, 11 o'clock it was, maybe 10 o'clock yep. in the morning, but definitely in a... Um, uh, kind of summer, autumn kind of time frame. So that Hitting was white concrete. Yep. <laughs> yep. And uh, you can basically ride the aperture in post over mm. the two, three frames that it goes from the dark to the light and the whole time see the actress in the car. And it doesn't look weird. You can do it perfectly well. But the only way to do it right now is to run out a pass of the HDRX for the HDRX of in the tunnel and a pass yep. for the HDRX out of the tunnel and then go into Final Cut and do it dissolve over three frames. Yeah. And so the final piece of the puzzle... Sorry, go ahead. Well, no, but, I mean, the, every time now, and I've done now <laughs> a lot of shots, I mean, we've been shooting a lot of material, and yeah. uh, normally about four 1.58 gig cards a day 
um, since we got it. <laughs> yeah. And that's the number one thing I reach for is some kind of thing where then I go, okay, well, we'll just do that when we finally post the shot. But mm. I would love to be able to grab the card, drop it in a laptop, uh, preferably with a red rocket, and, um, and then say, Jace, here's your shot. And then you go, oh, can you just show me what that looks like if I pulled um, exposure? And I go, yeah, put a little temp thing in there. And mm. you go, great, I'm happy with that. At the moment, I have to go, okay, well, that's the first bit. Now let me adjust something. Okay, now watch this bit. Okay, imagine those two bits together. That's your shot. Yeah, because the, pen, the final piece of the puzzle is going to be when we are, um, and this is not a complaint because I know it's going to happen soon and it's going to be just sensational. Yeah. But, uh, you know, shortly, you know, people are going to want to shoot this in, in fully in anger and go beyond tests and, and want to start, start finishing this stuff off for, you know, to be actually physically earning money, um, you're going to want to uh, not just necessarily you know slide between X track and A track, but you want to be able to say, okay, just in those windows, just key back. I want to just key in there the uh, the uh, X track data. I want to sort of bring a bit more detail into its highlights or into the clouds there. And you know you're going to want to be able to do that. You know, integrating panel and just just key in a little bit of highlights, but have all the information that is there in Red Cine X at your fingertips on, on say, a base light um, or Resolve. Um, so I'm sure it's all coming, but um, it uh, uh, if you're there coding away, code faster because, you know, <laughs> any second people are going to be hammering down the door and uh, saying, release, release, there is <laughs> release a, the software. That, um, I've found that is exceptionally interesting to me just, and I can only speak to about this personally, but I go on shoots a lot and I nearly always have my 5D and I nearly always am thinking when we're rolling, let's say we're rolling on a shoot and there's some 1Ds or 5D shooting stuff. Mm. I'm always grabbing my 5D and taking some stills because I want the high-res stills that I can crop into and stuff for either publicity, my own use, Apple TV, whatever it is. I just want the yeah. high-reses. On this shoot, we've been shooting with the Epic and I just have not picked up my 5D uh, because I've thought, I'll just lift a frame out of this because it's running at raw 5K stills, as it were. Yeah. Um, now, okay, there's it's a running at the same res there. as, uh, I mean, a 5D, what's a 5D still res? Is 3048 or whatever, I don't know, what is it? 22 it doesn't megapixel. matter. It's, it's yeah. in the zone of a lot yes. of megapixels, and I actually really don't care anymore. And Absolutely. what I'm thinking, though, is there is, a, there is a slight thing here because if I'm shooting at 24 frames a second, I've got 148th shutter, and I don't normally shoot my stills at 148th shutter. I shoot them, you know, higher than that. Mm. But there's been some stuff that we thought I might lift a still out of this and we'll shoot it at a 196th, one which is, you know, around the 125 that I like to sit out on my stills camera. Mm. And then I know that I can just lift a still out of that, and it won't be a compromised still. It'll be a raw still, 5K. Now, or you could lift a still from a blend X track, A track, which might and have a slightly, slightly tighter shutter speed. Yeah, and I posted that on um, on Red User, like a shot looking up into the trees, and I did that. Yes, now, the which thing is, is gorgeous. Normally, I do that because I go, oh, it'd be such a pain to only have HD resolution of this scene. So I grab up a second camera and take a still, or I, in between takes, I'll just take a still on the five D because I desperately want those stills. For other reasons, and I just can't take them out of the 1920 by 1080. It's just not, not good enough. And yeah, and invariably I want to crop or do something interesting with that. And so not only is it a resolution problem, it's a it's a not raw file problem. 
because yeah. I love playing with raw files on I, Canon. Yeah. So I want yeah. raw files. I want high res. I don't get that from a, a .mov file. I almost never lift stills out of a .mov file for that reason. Mm. And so I end up having two sets of stills and picture. It's sometimes two cameras to do it. Now, here, and, and since I've been doing this with the Epic, my 5D is suddenly, you know, suddenly, and I mean really dramatically, not getting shots taken on it. I, on the day I was shooting with you in Sydney, mm. I took sort of a dozen shots where I would normally take several hundred. Um, it was astounding. I was like, well, there's a really great shot here. I, you know what? We've got it. I'll just be happy with what we've got. Yeah, yeah. Because it should be that where the camera is, where the epic is, that should be the optimum point for covering that shot. I mean, That's if right. there's a better shot that isn't where the epic is, you should move you the should epic. There. <laughs> That's right. So by definition... If we've set the shot to the epic, that's the shot I want. Mm. Um, yeah, and you're just going to be using your 5D for behind-the-scenes shots, really, which could be shot on anything almost. But, uh, yeah, and, and mm. to a certain extent, um, th- that's great. I mean, we've done a lot of still shooting here um, and behind-the-scenes stuff because we want to have shots uh, you know, of us playing with the epic because it's fun and also because we're trying to do training stuff for FX PhD next term, so clearly we want to shoot what the rigs were. But... Um, yeah, I gotta say, like it's a, but it's a different sensation. Like I, the first time I've gone, you know what, I've got it. I'm gonna not want coverage for those extra uses uh, later yeah. on. Well, I've got to say, I can't wait. I can't wait for uh, more to come out. But what I've seen so far, and obviously we'll talk about that next week. Um, of the stuff you've been shooting down there has just look uh, sensationally fantastic, turning me uh, a ever so slightly different or deeper shade of green with every posting. So please just uh, stop uh, doing well, it. We, we should point out, for those that haven't uh, read it on the blog, that we're actually here in New Zealand. Um, some say that he eats CF cards on his cornflakes for breakfast. Now, others that he has ISO written on the inside of his eyelids as tattoos, but we just call him the Stew. And uh, he's here shooting with us, and uh, it's been awesome. Um, Stu and I and John and uh, Jim, we have a small crew, been uh, shooting in New Zealand, and so we'll discuss that next time. But we have been really going for it. Yeah. I mean, so this is going to be an awesome course. I'm, blunt, going to, I'm going to do the plug that you're not yeah. you're not doing yet, but well, uh, yeah, we'll we'll mention it next next time, of course. But yeah. this, this is going to be a cracker of a course. If you've seen, um, if anybody caught uh, Stu's last course for DSLRs, this is just going to be you know that on steroids. It's um, to quote Charlie he's, Sheen, he's that'll excellent. look like a uh, what was it a, a child an armless child in comparison. <laughs> hey, um. So somebody also posted, just to clear the air on this, somebody posted, and I hope it was a joke, that uh, uh, something about you not getting access to the Epic, which I don't understand this post on Twitter, but just to be absolutely clear about this, as Jason knows, Jason isn't here with us now because you've been shooting in Sydney doing great work with the Alexa and stuff. Yes, you absolutely have access to this Epic. So Thank you. Talk slower. Excellent. Thank you. No, I, I know. Others may not, but that's uh, yeah, absolutely much appreciated. Don't worry, I will be, I will be uh, exploiting that to as, as far as if you weren't ex- borrowing the epic and excellent, and absolutely. I'm I'm desperate. I've got uh, a million projects I can think of. Some of them rather big, but I don't think you'll actually let me take it away overseas for six weeks. So uh, we'll but we'll talk about that later, if it happens. Um, 
How was there the have election? been a ton more uh, uh, Epic M's out in the world now, literally since you left only a few days ago. Keslo Camera have got five Epics, all with um, all with red modes. Uh, Sam Druckerman, uh, Brooke Willard, who's got one. Tom Lowe obviously now has his own one. John Cordell, uh, Camelot uh, have two uh, Epic M's. Billy Summers... Uh, Greg Milnick, there is there is a ton out there now that are all starting to come out very very quickly. Particularly, as I say, Keslo Camera have got five, the bastards. Um, so yeah, you are not alone. But uh, I think you're, um, from what I've seen online, you guys are um, kicking it, actually doing more than unboxing stuff. <laughs> uh, it's been great, and and Stu's been great. But I gotta say that shoot in Sydney was also great. I really uh, enjoyed that, and we. Uh, I had a ball. Oh, that was good fun. It's really, really nice to, uh, you know, have something that you do for a living actually turn around and feel more like it's a hobby. And uh, as I said, it was great to have Ted there with us. It was um, really, really good to have him. It was really nice to see him hands-on, you know, rather than just, you know, being being the spokesperson. It was really lovely to see him uh, um, light up and just get get stuck into it. And he was doing a cracker job operating the camera. I was really, really, really impressed. It's um, good to see. Well, in fact, what we're going to do now is... Uh Cut to. I did an interview that we've uh, filmed for something else. We're going to give you a bit of the taste of that by giving you uh, a part of the interview I did with Ted uh, during setups on that day in Sydney. So we might play that uh, that now, if that's right, Jase. Yep. In just in terms of what you saw today, I mean, uh, pretty standard. Was that pretty standard? You know, you, you guys have obviously been doing this for a long time, so you have a very good grasp of the red. You understand how to use red code. You understand how flexible the cameras are. And today, just sort of put it in through its paces using this very small camera body to its best end. Um, you know, so the crew is you, me, Jimmy, and a grip, and uh, a DP. And that was it, right? And you shot car mount stuff, uh, gyro uh, outside the car, you know, basically like... It's going to look like a little remote helicopter. People are going to wonder how you did it. Um, it's totally smooth. Um, interiors, well-lit areas, just with a small crew and, and watching the footage back on the Max with the Red Rocket cards right after we shot it and playing it back and, and even experimenting with the HDR right here. Just as we're shooting, we have a little post room set up, which is nothing more than a Mac on a desk. Uh, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty fun day. So I think the thing that's kind of... Uh true is that let's face it like with epic everything gets smaller because the package gets smaller it's like a domino effect and i think that we saw that also today because Mm -hmm. when we're talking about doing a shoot like this normally there would be like a big grip truck because literally the camera weighs a lot so ergo the dolly has to be pretty big ergo the tracks and it just all multiplies out and that that's an interesting kind of aspect to this whole process i think because once you get the body small enough Mm -hmm. you literally and not compromising to have a smaller crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think you're sort of it's like a renaissance of this sort of 16 millimeter style of motion picture photography that little indies really adopted well and documentaries adopted well because everything is small. You throw everything in the back of a pickup truck or a van and you can make movies at 16 mil quality, but now we can make movies beyond 35 millimeter film quality with a camera that's, you know this big I mean, and, and 
really no no compromise that we can think of yet. I'm sure there might be some somewhere, but we haven't we didn't hit on one today yet. We haven't discussed the Scarlet, so let's uh, let's touch on that. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've been shooting obviously with Epic, but you have a Scarlet here. So this is a fixed lens camera, fixed eight by zoom. Yeah. So what does that kind of like uh, sit in terms of? Where do you see that? Because I have my own views as what we might use it for, mm-hmm. but where do you see it sort of sitting as to who's going to use it? Um, indie filmmaker's dream camera. Um, because of its very affordable cost point and the fact that it's a self-contained take it out of the bag and shoot it, it's you know, got a very flexible lens, it's relatively fast, um, and, it, and it's a very precise device. It's all professional everything. Um, I think it's going to be adopted by a lot of people. Uh, in, in many ways. I mean, you know this logic as well as I do. We, as a company, really don't try and predict the market that things will fall into. I have my guesses, and I, and I could certainly guess, but I think what's really intriguing about RED as a company is we build the stuff. We build it to our best cap- technical capabilities with the sort of inspiration around it of what it wants to be. And then we just hand it off to the world and say, now you go figure it out. Go figure out where it belongs as an industry tool. This is certainly not as high as red as resolution as a red one or an epic. But it makes a heck of an interview camera. It makes an amazing interview camera, and it is beyond the capabilities of almost every 1080p or 2K camera on the market um, in many, many ways, because you're still shooting raw, you have all that flexibility. Uh, Take the hand grip off, it's also going to be a great stereo camera. It's a great, and, and it brings up an interesting point about stereo is that you know, because these big movies are now shooting with epic and they're using short depth of field style photography that's becoming a look and a style but for action adventure stuff and 3D stuff that's going to fall into lots of different genres especially as TVs start to move to 3D you don't want everything in this very very short cinema depth of field this is a two thirds inch sensor so this is a more of a broadcast style depth number one it helps from a crew standpoint right? because focus won't be as critical and there are certain things that you need to shoot in a way that you need to have 20 or 30 feet of focus not one um, so we kind of make all these tools. Uh, I think there's going to be really interesting 3D that comes out of these cameras um, that will have a different style than what comes out of Epic cameras because of what it does. And in both cases, because that camera obviously is you know similar kind of size to yeah. the Epic, in both cases there's, a, there's an access thing as well. Now, you were recently uh, in the Middle East. And I was. You got to witness that firsthand because because you had a small camera that didn't look like a big production camera. You got to do some kind of interesting stuff. Yeah, I did. I, I've, I've witnessed it in, in about 10 different countries as I travel around. Where's the bag? Is, oh, the bag's under this. But basically, it's a little travel bag. This company called Think Tank makes these DSLR camera bags that I think are really good, and I use them all the time. And I have the smallest rolling one that they possibly make. I put both an Epic and a Scarlet and a bunch of our little Red Volt batteries and a lens and uh, a spare set of clothes, and, and basically everything is in this little carry-on bag that goes on the overhead of the plane with me. As I go through security, it's a bit of a confidence game, right? Because there's two kind of big, burly, little bigger than SLR cameras in there. And they say, well, what are these things? Oh, it's just my personal cameras. And they kind of look at me, really? Oh, okay, okay thank you. And I'm, off, I'm on my way, right? Yeah. So... I mean, I brought my Epic back as hand luggage. Yeah, no problem, right? They don't even question it, because it yeah. looks like an SLR, essentially, yeah. or a Hasselblad. Um, so in Dubai, we had a really interesting experience. I, I should probably write up the, the thing and post it on Red User. I probably will on the long plane flight back. Um, but they were shooting a commercial. One of the days I was there in Dubai, we were giving some speeches and stuff. Um, 
and they were shooting a commercial at this very famous hotel that looks like a, a sail, like people would know it. It's very iconic. Um, it's one of the few seven-star hotels in the entire world. Apparently, the the rails, the stair, the holders for the yeah, stairs, the handrails, handrails, are actually made of real gold. Oh, well, of course. Not fake gold, but actually oh, real gold, yeah. of course, right? Because they just have lots of cash to yeah. do things like that. Um, so they were shooting on the helicopter pad of this... Um, of the top of this hotel, of course, it has its own helicopter pad because you know these kind of people are landing on there. Um, and they were shooting the copter lifting off a few times, and various copters would land. And then in the middle of the day, they would like they wanted to shoot some aerials from the helicopter, but had no permits to do that. And just like anywhere else in the world, if you're going to mount a big professional movie-style camera out of a helicopter with a Tyler mount or some sort of gyro mount, you have to have permits for that. Even in Dubai, you have to have permits for that. Um, so the director kind of took me over to the side and said, that, that epic you showed us, that, that's ready to shoot, right? It works. I was like, yeah, it works. He says, well, what do you think about let's talk to the pilot and tell him what's going on and then tell everybody else that you're just going to go up with your still camera and grab a couple of shots. I said, sure. Sounds good to me. Um, so we clued the pilot in. He was totally cool with it. And I basically took the, the Epic, which is ultimately just kind of looked like this in my hands, just it's a slightly wider, oh, you've seen lots of shots of it, slightly wider with a small little zoom lens on it, and I just stuck it out the window, turned it out 5K slow motion so they could motion stabilize it, and we just shot these shots um, with some interesting VIPs also in the, the helicopter. Oh, really? This was a very special helicopter. They value their privacy, so I'll, I'll let you sort okay. of extrapolate who it was, but it was... It was someone, someone important in the copter with me in the, in the other seat. Um, and we just shot for 20 minutes or so, and then um, I copied the media over and gave them the footage, and they stabilized it, and it looks like, you know, and they can extract stills from it, too, at 14 megs. So they're, they're these beautiful shots. We can show you if you want. You know, we can open up the laptop and, and show you. Put them on your Red Rocket system and show you. Well, brilliant. And that was a fun day. Okay, so uh, it's been great talking to you today, Jase. Um, Thank you, mate. Yes, I'm glad you've uh, survived. I need to get back to shooting here, but I did, in fact, shoot a, um, a, a bit with you at the end of the night, uh, like late in the night, uh, on the actual day. So this is a bit weird, this podcast, because we've had us on set. We had this bit now, which was recorded in New Zealand. But I'm going to play you now some audio that I recorded with Jason uh, on the night at, like, midnight uh, of uh, the first day of him shooting with the Epic. And I, I mean, the reason I'm going to play this, I know it sounds like we're jumping back in time, but uh, you'll hear in his voice um, how much uh, he enjoyed uh, shooting with it. And I think you had some really good <laughs> observations then. So um, I think it was information overload. I think we were all a bit stunned that day. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I may, may seem a bit scatterbrained. But and, and you may missing. repeat yourself, but that's only because I may. it's uh, consistently what you were interested in. And I just want to thank everyone that was involved in that day. Um, there were quite a few people to thank, but I'm not going to go for, for forever. But I do want to thank Tom uh, Gleason, who is a terrific DOP and uh, came and helped us out uh, enormously. And Tom's yes, always indeed. great. We love uh, Tom's work. And I want yes. to thank Panavision as well, who provided an ET rig for us and um, who were there helping out with lenses and stuff. A lot of lenses, yes. Snorkel lens. Uh, uh, yeah, and exactly. And we were just really um, can't, uh, can't thank them enough. Um, and there was quite a lot of other people that volunteered their time on the day, and I can't go through them all now, but uh, I want to thank all those uh, people that, uh, that came in because we had quite a lot of uh, people. Actually, surprisingly, I had an enormous number of volunteers for that day. Yeah, it was weird. It was just kind of, it was great. But, uh, yeah, surprised. That was good. 
Okay, um, well, let's play now that outro from uh, recorded on the night of the Sydney shoot. And uh, next time we do Red Centre, uh, we'll cover the stuff here in New Zealand where we can go into um, aggressively some of the stuff that we uh, have been shooting. Um, and please, fire the questions. Um, you know, the uh, on the Twitters, we are uh, Wingrove and uh, I am Mike Seymour. But also, uh, fire us emails because we... Um, be happy to respond. The, the emails that we're less likely to respond to are, can you come and have lunch with me in Auckland um, because I hear you're shooting there, or can I borrow your Epic for a month, both of yes. which I wish I could do, but uh, I've had, I think, 10 requests for people to have lunch with us while I've been here in New Zealand. And, uh, and at least... Yes, you've hardly got cell phone coverage, let alone access <laughs> to a car, a car to get to a restaurant. Yes. Well, we actually have four-wheel drives. But, or t- uh, we're or not, time, we're not really. T- we don't have time to go um, yeah. visiting. And we'd love to. And there are so many people that say, oh, you're in New Zealand, why don't you drop in? Uh, and we just can't do it. I'm, and we're not being rude. we just on a super tight schedule. Um, okay, well, let's uh, cross to that uh, out play now. Okay, well, it's been a long day, uh, but we're Big sort day. of wrapping up here. Got a lot done. Heading off to New Zealand, but uh, not with you, Jason, unfortunately. Sorry, I wish you could come with us. Yep, no, it's all right. I've got stuff to do here, other shoots. Not with the epic, but we'll get round to that. Any uh, final thoughts on... Uh... Oh, look, I think it's really been amazing. It's been fantastic to share with it. It's a, quite an amazing beast. Um, I, think, I think one of the big things is the whole interface and the touchscreen and what you can do so quickly, going from one function to the other to literally just touch and swipe menus along and stab at things and uh, go from, uh, you know, changing shutters to ISO to uh, um, frames per second instantly and red codes or, you know, compression ratios. It's a really nice interface. I think everyone's really going to love it. I'm very, very impressed with that because, you know, often, say with Red 1, it's, you know, quite... quite um, you know, you've got to burrow down deep with med- menus and click back and head back to where you started from and then head down another path. It's kind of forks as opposed to this is very much like, you know, almost like working with a kind of an iPad, really. Yeah, no, it's good, I think. Yeah. And I found the LCD pretty good. Oh, the LCD is fantastic. It's a really, really nice mount. It's great. Off-axis, nice and bright. Terrific. We had a lot of ton of backlight today and it was really workable. Um... I think the whole overall design of it is really beautiful. The thing is really is utterly rock solid. The, that titanium mount is beautifully machined. Uh, the, um, the you know the uh, smart handle is very very clever. Red red moat is uh, well. What can we say? I mean, everyone knows it's going to be fantastic. That's why we've been waiting this long. It's um, I think it's it's just really great to finally start to see it. Uh, well, start fruition. to shoot with it because hopefully you'll be shooting, uh, you know, reasonable amount with it. Yeah, and we, I tell you, we pushed it. I can't wait to see uh, some. I mean, we've already today just seen some very quick results off the laptop, which are just like jaw droppingly stunning. I mean, you can read this stuff on Red User till the cows come home, but the first time someone says, Look at this clip, okay, completely blown out, and you just grab your mouth, boom, and you can see detail in the clouds, then you can see details in the blacks all just with the swipe of a mouse. It's just. We were only at the beginning here with, you know, with, with what's capable with the camera. So it's, uh, that's, yeah, it's, uh, uh, okay, game changer. There I said it. Okay, well, that's it for this week. Um, obviously, next week we won't be doing a show, but we we'll probably, when we come back from New Zealand, have a chat about what we found uh, down there. I just want to thank everyone that's been helping here today. I want to thank, thank Ted in particular. Um, obviously, he provided the second epic that we used for the stereo shoot that we did today. I want to thank the entire team. A lot of people are volunteering their time. The guys from Panavision uh, have been terrific. Um, Rob Morton's been great, and obviously yep. our good friend Tom. 
Thank you. Yes, thank you, everybody. And again, thank you, Ted. It's been fantastic working with you. Until next time, I'm Mike Seymour, and uh, obviously, please fire questions uh, at us if you can. We always like getting your questions. Obviously, we're not going to be able to answer absolutely everybody's questions. We can't um, give out all this footage, so don't bother sending us emails to that respect. If you're wondering where this is all going, it's obviously going into FX PhD courses, which will be starting uh, in the April term. Um, until then, thank you so much, Jason. Really appreciate it. Thank you, mate. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, Ted. Thanks for listening. Send your questions or comments to rc at fxguide.com. This podcast sponsored by Storm, the red digital cinema production hub from the Foundry. Copyright 2011, FX Guide, LLC.